When people learn that Christianity is a religion of grace and gift, that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how many wrong things we've done, that we can be forgiven freely, justified, stand righteous before God, then the question becomes, why should we then do good works? Why worry about it? Why make an issue of it? And that's the question that Paul raises in 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Is that what we should do? Now, Paul says here that's a question more from the outside than from the inside. In other words, people people who look in might ask that question. But those who have experienced the grace of God, those who have come to Jesus Christ are going to be less likely to ask that. But nonetheless, even though we're less likely to ask it, sometimes we wonder, you know, if our relationship with God doesn't depend on good works, if it doesn't depend on what we do, then why do them? Well, that's, um, that's the question that Paul begins to answer in this passage as he enters into the second section of Romans chapter 6 where he talked about justification, now he's going to talk about what we call sanctification, the transformation of our lives. And here's his basic answer. Shall we go on sinning? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's a similarity to what Jesus has done. He has died to sin... He has risen to live a new life to the Father. There is a likeness here, as it says in 6.5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So if we're going to understand what does it mean for us to die to sin and to live unto God, then the question becomes, what does it mean for Christ to have died to sin and to live unto God? So before we apply it to ourselves, let's try to understand what it means for Christ. So first of all, what is, what is his death? How is it a death to sin? That's what he says in verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. So how is, it, how is Christ's death a death to sin? Well, it doesn't mean that he was himself sinful and worthy of condemnation in and of himself because he had sin within him. It doesn't mean he was a slave to sin. What it means is he had taken upon himself the obligations of our sin and that when he went to the cross, he was no longer obligated to pay for our sin because he paid it all. There was no longer, uh, sin was no longer holding its judgment over him. He was now justified, declared righteous, having fully paid for sin. And so now sin was in its, was, sin was done, sin Sin's reign was over. He was no longer obligated to it. And in that way, Christ died a death to sin. Now, we also have experienced a resurrection like Christ. So what does it mean that he rose? Well, obviously, it means his physical body was raised to life. Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So he, he, his body was dead, and then he was able to, to live. But notice what it says in verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So the resurrection was more than just like having the physical life of his body. It was also about him living to God. That was the idea. Now remember that on the cross, um, Christ experienced not only the terrible suffering in his body, but also the pain of his soul when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so there was a sort of separation from the Father and His love as He experienced the wrath of God on our behalf. But now that is completed. He can no longer say that. All that is done away with. It's never to be repeated again. It's all taken care of. And now He lives a life to God. He's alive to God. So that's what it means for Christ. Death to sin, the obligation is over, its reign is put to an end. Um, His people can be forgiven, and now he lives a life unto God. Now, there's obviously some ways in which Christ's death is not like ours, death to sin, and in other ways in which it is, and same with the resurrection. But these are the key things that Paul highlights here, and so we're going to now seek to apply them. What does it mean for us, then, to die to sin with Christ and to live again with Christ? The death and resurrection of us. Is what we're talking about. Because Paul reminds them, he says in verse 3, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In verse 6, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be done away with. So he says, sin had a hold on us, and now we have died to it. So what does this mean? Well, notice that he points them to their baptism. To the time when they were washed with water in the, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As a sign and seal of their remission of their sins. But remember when John began to baptize, they came to him confessing their sins. They said that what God has judged concerning us that We are sinful and worthy of condemnation. We agree with that. That's where it says they justified God. They declared him to be in the right in what he was saying about them. They declared him to be in the right. And so in that way, they were saying, we agree with God's judgment about sin. And remember when the the apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost... And everybody was realized they had done wrong. Everybody realized that they had sinned against the Lord. And they said, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Agree with God's judgment. It's a definitive statement of no to the sin in our, in, in our baptism. We're saying a definitive no to sin. The theologian Emil Bruner put it this way. God's no to sin that he uttered in the cross has now also become our no. We have said no to sin. God's no to sin that he has uttered in the cross has now also become our no. So when we came to Christ, we said we agree that sin is worthy of condemnation and we no longer want to live in it. We want to be delivered from sin, and we want to be forgiven. And so, 
We can see that in the historic baptismal vows of the church. When people would come for baptism, what would they say? They would say, do you, they would ask them, do you renounce the works of the devil? Do you renounce the works of the flesh? Do you renounce the way of the world? And we say, we do renounce them. And uh, we're going to have a confession of faith where you have an opportunity here in a, in a minute to confirm that that is where you are. It's a kind of a redying to sin. But there's another aspect of this, and that is there's a sense that there's a legal death to sin. Verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should be no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so there's a, there's a death that frees us legally from the bondage of sin. And that's what we're going to talk about more in a couple of weeks, but just keep it in mind. So there's that legal, legal freedom from the bondage of sin and death. But then there is also, uh, as well, our saying no to sin. That's a death to sin. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to think about uh, as we begin this series, there's a lot of complicated material here that we're going to try to unravel in Romans 6 through 8. But one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, have we said that no to sin? Have we died to sin? Are we going to go to our death, our physical death, alive to sin or dead to sin? That's the decision that each one of us needs to make today and determine that we are saying no to sin and that we are alive to God. I had an interesting experience this week um, as, I, as I got back into my to uh, my car to drive Uber again, my, my portable chapel, you might say. And I picked someone up at uh, Park West. I'd gone over to Knoxville, and so I just kept uh, driving over there. And I was there at Park West, and I picked up a, a man who had clearly been in the hospital. And so I just inquired, you know, how he was doing and how his experience was. And he said, well, he said, I had a pretty uh, intense uh, procedure. I had 100% blockage. In, in the, I guess it would be the vein leading to my artery. I, I don't, forgive me if I don't know the medical terms. But basically, he was about to die. I mean, let's say he's had a heart attack. And, uh, but the amazing thing is, in spite of the 100% blockage, he didn't lose consciousness. And he, him, he was by himself, and he was able to call 911. So the ambulance came. They, they got, a, got him an EKG, and they realized that, that his heart was beginning to shut down. They got him immediately into the doctors, and he was able to be saved and have that procedure. So I, so I asked him, I said, hey, you know, that's like, that's, that's like huge, right? He said, I said, you know, it's like, has that made you think anything, you know, about, you know, life and where you're headed after this? And he's like, oh, yeah, totally. He's like, man, I was just cruising along, and it's like, man, I'm thinking about everything. I'm thinking about what is my real purpose here? What am I doing with the rest of the time that I have? I don't know how long that will be. I'm thinking about what's my relationship with God? What's that going to be like? What, what in the world is, am I going to do? Well, so, so uh, it was interesting. And then he says, I mean, the main thing is I got to get, you know, I got to get my life connected to God. Using our terms here, I got to be alive to God is the, is the idea. And, um, and I said, well... Um, I'm a minister. That's my day job. And he says, you're kidding me. 
And so we talked a little bit about what it mean, meant to seek God and so on. And uh, I think it was like for him, like a sign from God that he was on the right track. And I said, look, you know, you seek the Lord, you will find him. So, so keep asking him to show you the way and he will do so. And I promise that. And so, but it, you know, it's like when you, when you meet someone like that, when you have those experiences, it makes you think, you know, what is it that, you know, not, that time is short. It's good to have those conversations because not one of us know for sure that we're not going to have a heart attack today. And we might not make it like my friend there did. And so are we alive to God when we meet him? That's the question each one of us needs to answer. So, but dying to sin is not the only part of it. We also need to have an experience of a new life, uh, a resurrection. And it's not just a death. That's what he says in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So what does it mean? Well, remember that the resurrection for Christ was not just about physical life, though that's also part of it. Our bodies are going to die one day unless Christ returns, and then we're going to be with him forever, um, and our bodies will be raised up. But remember, for Christ, the resurrection is first and foremost about God himself. It's about a life for God. And as I just noted that when God had said, when Christ said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, that is over now. And his, and his relationship is restored with the Father, and that's never going to fail. It's a life lived to God. That's what it says in verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so what that means for us is that we die to sin, that we say no to it, a life separated from God, but that we now say yes to a life with and for God. And that's what it is for us. We live for ourselves. We made ourselves the center of the universe, but now God is the center of our universe. We were alive to sin and dead to God, but now we live for God. Now we are dead to sin and alive to God. Remember the baptismal formula that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28. When he sent his disciples out into the world, he told them to baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is about reorienting us who were going astray from God back to God and to service and life with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is our life then reoriented so that God is first and God governs our lives. And he is the one who is through our life and he's the one for whom we live. So what does this look like? Well, we could say it means that God, for us to be alive to God, means that God is first in our affections, that we have a heart for God, that we want to be with him, we want to know about him, we want to experience him. But secondly, it is that God is first in our will. We want to do not just what we want to do. You know, we wake up, we start thinking, what do I want to do? What is... What is my agenda for today? But we start thinking, what is God's agenda for this day? What does he want me to do? As Psalm 119, 64 says, The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Show me what you want, not just what I want. And third, God is first in our thoughts. 
that, that where, does our, where does our mind go when, we, when we're just at random places? Well, the, I think we should make it a basic principle of our heart and life that our first thought is to God. You find yourself just standing in line somewhere and your mind just drifting. You don't have to go to your phone. Go to God. If you have times where you don't have your phone and you're just like, now what do I do? Well, think about God. Um, consider Him. God first in our thoughts. And see how that begins to change you. It's really a thing that begins to, to change our perspective. When we say, like, there's a pause in thought, God first. It's a whole different way of life when God is first in our affections, our will, and our thoughts. Now, as you think about this, we say, how can a person then who said that sin is worthy of condemnation, that it's something that I would never want to be around, and said, my life is one lived unto God, how could such a person who said that then say, well, now I'll just keep on sinning? It makes no sense. It's not where it, it wouldn't lead us ever in that direction. That's what Paul is saying. God forbid that we would even think that. That's why those who come to Christ are less likely to ask that question, even though they might try to figure it out from time to time. It makes no sense for us who've said no to sin, yes to God, that we would keep living on in sin. And that's what he's saying here. Now we need to see that living a new life to God is one that involves an exercise of our will. It's ethical. It's something we do. Something we're required. It's about changing our thoughts, our, our mindset, our affections, our emotions, our actions. But we also need to recognize that when we do so, it's not just us doing it. It's not like God says, here, I'll give you a new start. And now it's up to you to kind of just make the best of it. Because though we are required to work hard at it, but baptism teaches us something more. It is baptism is a confirmation of our union with Christ. Our new life is an exercise of our will and our heart and our emotions and our body and our strength. But above, beneath, within, and around it is the power of Christ. As he says in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's being united to him. It's being connected to him and his power. That is the main thing. As it says in verse 6, verse 8, Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. It's his power. We live with him because we're united to him. In the conclusion of this passage, Romans 6, 11, that we read, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's a life lived to God that's rooted in our union with Christ. And so what we see is that Christ himself is expelling the sin. He's come in and he's pushing it away. There's a battle. We're going to talk about that next, next week. But where Christ is, the sin is going to be dispersed. It's going to be scattered. As again, theologian Emil Bruner in his commentary in Romans said, where Christ is, their sin must retreat. To live with Christ 
means death to sin. That's the idea. Christ and his power. As he died to sin once for all, so him in us is expelling sin from our lives. But more than that, it's his power to live a new life. And I don't think anyone has expressed this more clearly than the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a new life where we've died in a sense, and then we live, but not us. It's Christ and his power. He's trying to put those things together. But the point is that there is the power of Christ leading us in a new way. So we don't have to despair when we try hard and fail that we don't have resources. Christ is at work, and he's changing us and making us new. And we'll see that over time. We may forget sometimes on a day-to-day basis, but when we look back, we see how much he's taught us, how far he's brought us, how many things he's overcome. And we see that he's alive and at work. That's one reason that our, we can glory in our sufferings, because they teach us that he'll bring us through and he'll keep growing us and he'll keep helping us move forward. That is the power of a new life. So how can we, who have lived in sin and now have said we're going to die to it and live to God, live in it any longer. It makes no sense. We may be angry with things around us, but we learn to live it, give it to God. We put the issue in his hand. That is a life lived for God. We may desire pleasure, but we submit it to God with the confidence that he will take care of us And bless us with good things. So if we don't get the things we want, then we're still okay. That is a life lived for God. We may find that we need to go to consolation, for consolation, to things like alcohol or other good things that kind of help assuage the pain for dealing with life's hard problems. But then we see that God is the only solution to our need for acceptance, meaning, security, and guidance. And we could take those things and use them in a right and good way rather than as a crutch. That is a life lived to God. We may not want to reach out, but then we reach out where God tells us to, to all whom God tells us to, because we have confidence that he will be with us. That is a life lived to God. We may worry about the future, And go over all kinds of problems in our heads, looking at our finances or or other issues or, or, or challenges that could happen to us. But then God comes into our thoughts and we realize that he holds the future. And he's a father who's going to take care of us. That is a life lived for God. We worry that we won't be heard. And so we interrupt and make sure that we make our points. But then we see God and know that we are seen, that we are heard, that we are taken care of and understood. And so we are able to give the gift of listening. That's a life lived to God. All that doesn't happen at once. And it's not it's certainly not always easy. And we'll talk about the next sermon. But it begins by recognizing that a fundamental change has taken place. That's how Paul concludes this section. He says... In the same way, 
Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.11. Think of yourselves this way. As dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And what I would tell you is that it may seem like, was that really going to work? It has a power. It has a power. When we say, I am dead to sin and I am alive to God, it has a power to lead us forward. And that power is more than one of just the thoughts. The power is the work of the Holy Spirit. The power is the work of Christ within us. The power is the glory of the Father that raised us up, uh, raised up Jesus from the dead. And so that's what I want you to take away from this. As you think of yourselves in the next week, that you say, I am dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Thus may it be.